0: Welcome to the Silicon UK in Focus podcast. Silicon UK is the leading source of IT news, analysts, features, and interviews with key industry topics. I'm your host, Dave Howell. Today we're speaking with Cyrus Gilbert Roth, the Chief Revenue Officer for Everything who help customer brands run their businesses differently for a smarter, more sustainable and accountable world. Everything connects product data at every point in the life cycle using real-time trusted information to enable supply chain transparency, brand protection and consumer engagement. Welcome Cyrus. Hi David, how are you today? Well, fantastic. And thanks for, for joining us this morning. I think uh, to sort of kick us off, I always like to sort of start with maybe a bit of an overview of the business. So um,
1: so what's what's everything actually about? No, a pleasure. And it sounded super grand in your description, but I'll, I'll do the best <laughs> I can. It's a product cloud. And so the future that we envision is that all physical products will have a digital identity. And so everything is a product cloud for those identities to live. I've heard it described as digital twinning too. And so if you think of anything around you, a uh, a t-shirt or a, you know, bottle of household cleaner or, or something that you're likely to eat. Um, we see a time when you'll be able to point your phone at something else at that product and it will tell you where it was from, when it was made, when it was shipped, what to do with it, everything from prior to manufacturing to after recycling.
0: I think the whole idea of the digital twin is, it's certainly gaining ground massively. I think I'm hearing that phrase more and more across the business community as they kind of understand how that can give their business a, a whole new uh, view of whatever they're trying to achieve, either their business process, their customer base, everything like that. It's a very interesting topic. Well, before we uh, sort of get into, I guess, the, the, you know, the meat of this one. I'd always also like to to ask you basically uh, who Cyrus is. I mean, what you were doing before uh, uh, sort of everything, and what so what are your key sort of uh, you know, responsibilities at the company uh, today?
1: You know, my first role in technology was at Netscape. Uh, some of the wow. people listening yeah. to this may be old enough to remember of a them. a certain age, and, yes. You know, <laughs> <laughs> and the the joy of that business was that it kind of level set everyone you know that was the explosion of internet was beyond disruptive right it was a huge transformation really in society Full up but it meant that everyone was on square one of the snakes and ladders board you know trying to figure out what to do ever since then i've worked in technologies where they've been very early adopting but with the opportunity to create big changes of xml did a lot of work in web services um mobile location analytics all sorts of things and now product digitization, specifically cloud-based product digitization, we see being a big, big change. So it's been great fun the last, you know, however many decades that is, of figuring out what businesses are going to do to adopt and also how fast people can change. I mean, what we're looking at with everything is just the next chapter in all the disruptions that's happened since then. If you think of what's happened since that ever-pervasive network's been in place, manufacturing changed completely right now. You use expressions like Ford Motor Company or, you know, Ralph Lauren is shorthand for these hundreds or even thousands of different companies all working together to make stuff, right? Customers completely changed. Salesforce defined a market where I could get everything I know about people that buy from me into one place, that changed, CRM changed everything forever. And now most recently, you know, digital marketing, what's happened with Facebook and Google and, you know, the giant social guys are really those two, right? Have kind of defined a market where I understand my potential buyers at such a level of detail that I can get into you know, demographic groups like, you know, Muslim supports Arsenal, green, you know, trans, whatever it is, and I can still define an a way to market to that specific individual. So digital changed everything. And now we see it happening with products, right? And products, the idea of a physical product being on the internet, is not a straightforward jump for people to make, but it is happening. And, you know, COVID trained so many people to scan a QR code if it's in front of you. It took advantage of all the stuff Apple and Google had done to make code recognition native inside their cameras. Now we have this ability to point our phones at stuff and find things out. And that's given next to, you know, for every product, certainly things we might eat to tell us about themselves, without me having to look them up somewhere else. And that's a pretty big change. That's absolutely right. And for me,
0: it's an interesting, I guess, evolution of what a brand is and how we define that. And I guess that's that's the, the top of this conversation is just that, isn't it? Today, with the work that you guys are doing, when we define what a brand is today, is that very different than when, how we defined a brand even just five years ago?
1: I mean, well, I guess five years ago, it just depends where you start from, doesn't it? Because the goal always used to be that you would be positioning a brand by associating with something else, right? You'd say, oh, you'll feel younger, right? Or you'll be more beautiful, or you'll finally be, you know, more elegant or cool or something like that. And there would be these amazing ads that would take you on this journey. And that's kind of what brands meant for most people. Brands would have a trust wrapped around them and so on and so on. There's little opportunity to look and see what was happening underneath the hood. You got what you were given in terms of TV ads and, you know, magazines and so on. Now, you know, that's completely fragmented. Everything is available. We're in an opportunity, a world where I can reach consumers very quickly, right? Direct to consumer plays have really blown, I guess, what everything we thought about brands out of the water in the last five, 10 years.
0: Yes. And I think things like some kind of interactivity between the business, the brand and the end consumer, that was always there in various means. But of course, today, as you say, that's fragmented. I mean, I see you know, also a massive change with interactive television, for instance, that seems to be a entirely untapped uh, marketplace for brands and how they can use the technology that they have and the data that they've been collecting um, to reach people in a completely new way. But from a tech perspective, I think you're right. It, it almost seems like we've arrived at a point where the consumer base is now an educated, digitally savvy, and then brands and businesses are asking themselves, well, we know the audience has that knowledge and those skills. What can we do with that? And how can we enhance our products digitally digitally? to make them more useful for for the end user. That interest and that that skill that they now have, you know, the end customer, kind of wasn't there before, was it? But today, that's a huge opportunity for businesses, isn't it? Well, it's definitely
1: part of it, isn't it? That uh, that way of brands connect to consumers is definitely part of the puzzle. But it's not the whole thing, because Mm. the identity of the brand seems to now be such a large part of the way people make decisions about what they're going to buy. And like for one of our biggest customers at everything patagonia almost without doing much research people inherently feel like they know that patagonia is a good brand that's trying to make the world a better place that wants you know real sustainability and environmental thoughtfulness and all the rest of it is baked into it if i can then take brand attributes like that And embed them into the physical products that people hold. I remember they did an ad a couple of years ago saying, don't buy this jacket, right? And they had a picture of one of their jackets and they were like, don't buy anything new. And these are things brands can do to insert their identity and thought, you know, the way they see the world into the messages that they send. is maybe easier for someone like Patagonia than it is for someone like I don't know, British American Tobacco or Ford or someone that, you know, BP, some of us on a journey of trying to reposition themselves. It's interesting to look at BP and Shell, how quiet they are right now, we've got COP26 on. But those are, you know, very different associations and trying to unpick something that people have never had a relationship with before and turning into something new is 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 tough. And so again, constantly reinforcing that with the way that you're engaging with your consumers It's one of the reasons that we think traceability is going to be a really important part of how people engage with products that they're going to wear or eat in the future. And you want to have a sense of where did these raw materials come from? Was this made in a factory where everyone chose to work there and were paid appropriately? And was it intended for sale in this market? Is it safe? All those kind of things. As you said, a huge opportunity for how brands can better educate and probably engage with their consumers in the future. We already touched
0: on it already that there's a clear sea change in who's driving this. It used to be a brand would create whatever it is a product, and they would take that to market, do lots and lots of research to find who would buy this thing, and that kind of w- was was it that seems to have flipped that now seems to be the the driver is the consumer it's the end consumer we want this but we want it in this kind of fashion we want it with with this information and more importantly we want it with a clearly defined supply chain so really they are in charge now how have you seen brands kind of react to that because they were kind of used to driving that but now they are not followers but they have to listen to their customers with much more detail than they used to it seems to me
1: I couldn't agree more. And I I think what we've seen is almost the physical manifestation of what digital marketing has been for the last 10 years. And so as the digital guys got better and better at observing the behaviours of people, what do they respond to, what do they like, how do I identify themselves in the context of, you know, what other people are posting or saying or liking, whatever it is, right? So that has become true of products too. And so that you were just saying... I guess another aspect of this actually, before I go into what brands can do is you look at how much people know about themselves. And the other big macro trend that the last few years has been this health stuff, right? Around I'm going to wear something on my wrist that monitors my steps, or I'm going to do the whole 23 and me stuff and know about my DNA. And so if I'm approaching this as I have much, much better data about myself, and now I map it onto the one place I kind of have agency, right? Which means that I'm spending my money. And so I'm now going to spend my money in a way that suits not just things I specifically need, but how I feel about myself. And bringing those two things together is really complicated if you're a brand. You know, I'm sure there's no brands that are like, you know, I want to be dumping chemicals in a river or, you know, all those kind of things. But people do identify those stories very clearly with brands. You know, I know one of the areas that I've seen Levi's do, big everything customer Levi's, there is amazing work now around really understanding the use of water in their supply chains and being able to show consumers what does this mean around what the environmental impact of the genes you're holding in your hand is. So the next phase of this, is going to be the connection between me as an individual and the items I'm thinking of buying and how I can better facilitate insight into that relationship at the time of someone making a purchase It can be health-oriented, like looking at a sandwich in a Leon and knowing if I'm allergic to it or not, right? Or it could be ethical. I want to look at this and know where was the cotton that was used in this H&M t-shirt? Where's that from, right? And so those decisions, there's never been the opportunity to do that before. So while, like you said, there's real push from the consumer to achieve it, there's also a sense of innovation around what the market can offer, and people are adopting those different changes in technologies.
0: Yes, I think businesses are are certainly more aware of all of those factors. The other thing that also occurred to me when I was sort of reading around this subject, do you also feel that we're at a point now where, I guess as consumers, we kind of understand that we have a relationship with the businesses we buy from and the brands that we like and, uh, you know, we, we covered. But ultimately that relationship is, is going to be defined by, I guess, a, an exchange of information, an exchange of data. And there's been lots of debate about that over the years about how much of that we give away to, to access the services that we want to use or the goods we want to buy. Do you think that we're at a turning point now where consumers are, in control of the the amount of information I'm gonna give to you so I can understand the the products and the services that I wanna buy. And that relationship, that exchange of my personal information or my personal preferences is clearly the future. And that all locks into this kind of new idea of what branding means and how businesses communicate with their their customers. You know, we're all kind of, you know, really uh, trying to be secure with our data and all the rest of it, but actually, there's, there's more of an exchange going on there to to understand supply chain, to understand what a brand is about. So I'm interested to find, if, if you feel that as well, that that level of exchange of data is, has,
1: has kind of changed over the last few years. I think you're spot on. But the, this stuff is really complicated, right? And so it takes a little while yes. to figure it out. Yeah, yeah. For us as well. So I think we all wandered into doing Google searches and, you know, liking stuff and, and never thought there was a flip side to this of I'm giving away, just the fact I like this, I'm giving something away about myself. What's the value of a like? What is the value of that like? And what does it say about me? And Do I really want to be perceived in that way? And am I gonna be more thoughtful about stuff I like in the future or buy or things I even write in Gmail, right? That's all in some way publicly available, uh, which feels wrong. At the same time, I don't think there's anyone if they see value and what they're getting back, then we'll show anything if we get back something that we think is, you know, in ratio to it, right, is is actually better for me. And so, you know, a really fascinating one is – If all medicine is manufactured just in time and I know everything about you right down to DNA level and I can create customized medicines that are specifically just for you, would I give up my DNA strings to achieve that? Yes, right? Absolutely, I would. That sounds like a great idea to work, right? But compared to do I feel the same way about ads on the side of a Google search return, no, maybe I don't. And it's fascinating, Apple locking well, making everything opt-in right in the last couple of months. That's really been a big fundamental change, and it's broken the business model for loads of people that work in that space. So if those are the two ends of the scale, I'm opting out here, and I'm 100 percent opted in with everything I've got at one end, it's probably about how brands can present genuinely and authentically present an offer that makes use of what I'm asking you for. You know, clearly there's a swap that makes sense, rather than just I'm just going to take. And probably everyone feels a bit like they're they're battered by you know people just taking information from them, and that's made them more cautious about sharing stuff in the future. And all the leak stuff you're hearing,
0: that's a that's a kind of a whole can of worms you could get into. Um, but but it does seem to me. Maybe over the last few years, when people have become a little bit more aware, they've certainly been, been sort of almost building diesel bunkers around themselves. Um, yeah, you know, back in the day, it was uh, it was um, you know spam was out of control, so you know, we were all loading spam filters, etc. These days, that's not just such a big problem anymore, but of course, how you exchange data and um, who's using that and for what, how many data points have they got about you and who that person is, is a whole debate, of course, on how we actually manage that and sort of move forward. But there is a clear exchange there. It's okay. So, well, what's in it for me? If I give you that information, what is in it for me? And, and businesses have to answer that. They have to answer that in detail or they will not gain that information and they need that data to be able to provide the services and the products which they'd like to. But I think moving forward, of course, what do we do? Yeah, you know, Is it the same and when we talk about sustainability for something you know, important like health and uh, maybe food production? Do we put that in the same box as manufacturing toothpaste, for instance? That's an interesting one, isn't it? How do you sort of reconcile that? Is it all the same? Or are we really talking about a multi-strand approach that businesses have to that relationship and how data is collected uh, about me and my health, which is obviously a very important thing, or the toothpaste I buy, which is maybe not as important.
1: Well, it might not be, but I might still have a view on the company that makes the toothpaste, right? And so on the whole, the trend towards transparency, I think, is, is better for society. And i will come on to a different point of why I think it helps with, you know, recycling and sustainability too. But I do think we're coming from quite a tough space. Do you see that story last week about the person that was lost in the woods and they were finally found unconscious and they've been out there for six days without food or water. And when they were saying like, you know, we, we did know you were lost. We've been looking for you. What, they didn't answer their phone because they didn't recognize the number. And you're like, wow. So it's so ingrained in people not to trust others now, especially if, that if you come from there to, okay, now I want to you know, give you a processed ready meal that you're going to eat and yet you're asking me questions about, you know, where's the beef from? Or does this contain things that my body doesn't like? Or, you know, what's the supply chain look like? It almost feels like the people are going to have to invest in making those systems work before immediately asking people how they're going to use them. And I think there's so much around, you know, Chinese cotton in the press that that's become a, a totem for something that's a much more Layered problem than just you know the human rights of Muslims in a certain area in China and what you think about that, right? So when you come into no, actually, we can do this, right? So we could tell you what the factory that this toothpaste was from, at least, or we could tell you, you know, the likelihood of there being leaks or misuse of chemicals or whatever it was around the manufacture of that toothpaste. And I could, at the same time, give you a way of refilling it or something like that, right? Or we'll come and take away the metal tube and recycle it for you. You know, these things that probably people think are creating value. And even at the mundane, you know, slightly day-to-day level that toothpaste is, the volumes when you add them up is unbelievable, right? I mean, we're doing a project about stickers on fruit. And you know, the EU are bringing in legislation that says you can't put a plastic sticker on a piece of fruit anymore because they all end up in the sea. But all the people that own the brands for those fruits still want to differentiate themselves. Then you find out the numbers and you get into, like the kiwi fruits exported from New Zealand in 12-month period is more than 48 billion, right? So if it's 48 billion plastic stickers, what seemed mundane, suddenly you understand just what the impact of these things are. You know, that's just one kind of fruit from one country. What appears mundane is often the greatest opportunity for change.
0: Yes. And I think it's only in the mix. I think when we, when we started to talk about all those debates about transparency, supply chain and how you communicate that. I mean, are we really talking? I guess when we, when we sort of touch on how to digitize, I guess what a brand is and how it communicates, is it really? How are we going to define what digital trust is in the future, and how that connects with the brand? So, is it really about that? It's it's trying to understand how that digital trust can be communicated. You know, the guy in the in the in the forest who wouldn't answer his phone because he didn't uh, understand the number, I kind of touched on for that because he didn't touch this phone because he just didn't recognise the number. So, is that digital trust? Is that something that has to be? defined by the brand so people will trust them that will allow you to that exchange of data but then there has to be has to be more trust there and it seems to me to be that's the big one that's how do you do that how do you communicate that trust with you know with your with your customer
1: base using you know these various digital channels we have available i mean it's such a critical issue that you're talking about it's a long road isn't it because i know when you look at your friends i've heard someone give an example the other day they heard their friend Basically lying into the phone about having a problem with a babysitter on the right side. That were, that's why they were late. And it's a white lie, but you kind of know that that's going to impact your trust in that individual. Now that happens with brands all of the time, right? Relatively small things, anecdotal stories, something you've read on social media somewhere, they all aggregate into a perception of a brand that could be positive or negative. How does a brand control that? And the only thing you can ever do is same as in, you know, for you and I, and people are just living their life. The more you trend towards being honest, open, transparent, clear, those are the values and attributes that people respond to. And they come to not expect. You know, I think views people have of politicians and business leaders and things like that, they're, they're mostly pretty negative, right? And probably brands go down that road too. And certainly giant, mega, huge FMCG brands, they really have a challenge with that. And so I think you can create a bit of a halo around yourself by saying, look at this information, read about this, find out where this is from, see what's going it it definitely helps. And then all of the sort of charity investment stuff on the other side of it, I've I've seen the Unilever lorry driving around filling up people's fabric softener and, you know, uh, washing liquid, and that's going the other way, right? That's definitely helping, so it's, it's, it's complicated.
0: Yeah, you know, do the end customers trust that, or is it like it's oh, just greenwashing again, isn't it? Or uh, <laughs> we, we, you know, it, it, is that really you know part of what your business is about, or you just let's just do that because it's uh, it, it's good for a good for our business and it's fantastic when we see something on the TV. Again, it it, it kind of for me comes back to that level of uh, trust, and if I believe what you're doing is actually sincere. And how do you communicate that over the channels I use? That seems to me to be the next big nut to crack, really, because you and I can find out so much information about um, you know, products and services these days, literally at the click of a button. That simply wasn't possible before. That brands have to kind of react to that, don't they? And business have to, have to come along and say, yeah, uh, we're doing this and this is why, and almost kind of prove their credentials, it seems to me. And then I'll believe you and then I will buy that product or I'll buy that service because, you know, I, I want to be associated or connected with, with, uh, with your, with your business and not someone else. You know, the differentiation again. I do think it's that, it's that kind of a redefinition of what trust means with, with, with brands and, and services that everyone buys from
1: does get to be non-trivial super quickly though because yes there's things like people just naturally feel that people are doing tactical campaigns and whatnot and that you know you just presume it's a it's a trick you're trying to trick me but there is another end to this where especially around brand protection so brands are often trying to demonstrate authenticity like real authenticity this this is something i made that's why it's got my brand on it and that's non-trivial so People's immediate response when I talk about brand protection in most places I go is they just think of it's you know you're trying to protect profits for a company you're trying to maximise the yeah, revenue yeah. potential but actually it's usually not that there's a project around infant baby milk being counterfeited right and that's something we've looked at quite closely um, the downside of that is that people die right and they're, they're basically consuming a product that's that's bad for them. That's beyond brand protection. The the opportunity to point at a product like that and say, oh, this definitively was made in this factory of these ingredients, Here, this is what it says it is, that's a critical business case. It's as important, though it's, it's not as important, it's very important in apparel when you get into brands. One of the things we're doing with Ralph Lauren is demonstrating that this is a genuine Ralph Lauren garment, and what that does is it creates confidence in the secondary market. If you imagine you went on eBay, or even you went on an Amazon marketplace, and when you look at things that you might buy, and you know, or at least as far as you can ever know, it was manufactured by the person. It is what it says it is. Or I pick it up in a secondhand shop, and I can point my phone at it, and it will prove to me, as far as anything could ever happen, that it is a genuine thing. My trust in the secondary market goes up which means I'm more likely to put products into it. And really trying to drive recycling from the perspective of people reusing existing things is a really important part of what we do. And in fact, at the very beginning of the business, what we were looking at was, could we create a ledger where all, all physical items lived and you could essentially Google them, right? And that's without that, without a platform like that, we're never going to get recycling to work. You know, if it's never going to be, the case, if I can fly tip a fridge at the end of the street now that's a huge problem of how people feel about recycling. If every white good was registered to someone and I could say, "You know who bought this where they bought it from so that would be so much less likely to happen. Registration is such a key part to getting recycling sustainability to keep the world around for longer. When I look at what happened at Grenfell, right, what actually happened at Grenfell was a, a fridge freezer burst into flames on the ground floor, and eventually it was a huge, horrific tragedy. That fridge freezer had been recalled by the manufacturer, but there's no way of brands connecting to people that have bought their things usually, right? When you pull out the fold-up bit of cardboard when you buy something and it says, fill in your name and address and send it off, do you do that, right? Because... Most people don't do that, right? Those things go in the bin. As a result, how do I get to it? You you put things on the wall of a Tesco or, you know, send out emails to people. That doesn't work. If everything was registered to individuals in the way that we do with cars or, you know, even guns in the UK, right? We don't really register anything else. Cars were really good at registering. So we can say pretty definitively, if I can see the license plate, I kind of know whose car it is and probably where they live. If that was true of all things, even a T-shirt, right? If I scan the QR code in the neck of a T-shirt and register it to me and the brand rewards me for doing that by giving me a a credit or join some club or loyalty scheme, whatever it is, right? I'm much less likely to end up, you know, throwing that in the sea or whatever. You know, the, the end journey of a lot of garments is not very pretty. So I do think that connection of not just the brand making the investment, but the individual taking responsibility for things is a key part of how we're going to make all this circularity work.
0: Keep up to date with the latest tech news and read in-depth features by subscribing to the Silicon UK newsletter. Uh, we're not just uh, you know, buying a kettle until it breaks and we throw it away and buy a new one. I'm owning that kettle. I'm owning that brand. How I choose which brand to buy from, that's where we get into the conversation we've just had about the um, supply chain and, and how you communicate all of that. But it, it it does seem that the whole idea to have ownership of the brands that I covered, but also have some kind of interactivity. As you say, if you want me to do something, then you know, the, the natural thing is, well, what's in it for me? Which is a fair exchange of information or, you know, goods and services. That's, that's absolutely, that's absolutely fine. But I think as we evolve that forward, um, and as, as right, right at the top of this podcast, we'll be talking about sort of digital twins and how, how that works, putting brands into a digital space. That's kind of the end game, isn't it? Because then you do have a uh, space for, for that ownership. And it makes it easy for me to do that. You know, we go to, a, like I say, a database for those you have to do with cars, etc., And that level of ownership, that gives you everything else, doesn't it? Once you have that ownership, and that is communicated as a mindset, I guess, to you and I, then that's an interesting thing for businesses as well because they can use that that shift in mindset to that advantage. Absolutely, you know, come to us because we're doing this, this, and this. Um, but in the wider context, that can help with lots of other things, as you've said, with with sustainability and with recycling, and really challenging the you know the whole thing about climate change, ultimately, even on a huge scale, which is. I guess sometimes something that's hard to maybe understand when I'm saying, "Yeah, I'm going to buy that toothpaste, and that's going to help climate change." How on earth are the two connected? But they are, particularly in the scenario that you've uh, you've just uh, you've just outlined.
1: They absolutely are. I do think the point you made about what's in it for me is critical to getting this to work, though. I mean, we can build a platform, we could have every physical item on it, but unless people engage with the process in the way you were just describing, ultimately, we won't get the value out the back of it. I don't know why this always stuck in my head, but it always has. When everyone started putting their Twitter handle on everything that they made, I remember holding a packet of scampi fries in a pub and it was saying, like, connect with us. And I was like, why would I do that? But now, I think when you can offer people like stuff like a warranty and a really easy way of engaging with it. Or, you know, one of the areas that we see people really engaging with is just feedback, right? You know, did you like this? And not post me a review, just tell me. And so we see it with fruit, for example. You know, did you like this? Does this work? Is this ripe? Is it so on? And people will say just yes or no, or one out of 10, or whatever it is, scanning a code and engaging with it. And it's amazing the data that creates for the man, well, for the farmer in that case, you know, around, well, this retailer is not handling my product properly, or, you know, people don't like this train of grapes here.
0: Absolutely. I mean, hospitality discovered that, didn't they? What's the power of a trust pilot, plus or uh, minus, uh, or a positive or negative uh, review? Well, actually, it, it's, it is huge. You know, something as simple as that, yeah, because it puts it into a digital space, which could potentially have millions and millions of, of, of viewers. For that, uh, you know, literally, that three or four lines of, of text could have a huge impact on your brand of business. But it also seems to me that you know the opposite is also true. What's in it for me? And I'll ask you what that's about. And I, I think a big part of our conversation, really, what we're talking about is, uh, is brand advocacy. It's uh, the best people that are going to communicate that you are doing something right are your customers, not you, your customers. And how do you do that through the digital space, through different uh, communications channels and touch points with uh, with them? Um, but ultimately, that's really kind of the end game. It seems to me it's that it's how do you enhance your brand advocacy with with the end customer? Um, and that's really what we've been talking about. It seems to me that's that's really what that's what what's, what
1: brands are trying to do, isn't it? And that's also what unlocks you know budget for doing these projects. I mean, there's still. It's it's not mercenary to say that you know you most of these areas that people are working in, you hear them all talking at COP twenty six this week. That there's a level of investment people are willing to make, and then after that, it needs to stand up on its own. And the two areas that we've seen that when you talk about advocacy. It's absolutely key, right? You know, and if, if there's an idea of a recommendation from someone that I know, I'm so much more likely to respond to that than some brand messaging in the middle of, you know, something I'm reading somewhere. But the other bit is simplicity, you know, and being able to make products digital. And when a product is born digital, when I can just react to the physical thing I'm holding in my hand without looking something up or doing something else. For reordering, that's really critical. So in FMCG, if I take something out of the fridge, it's empty, I scan it and it's added to my shopping list. That relationship that with people have been trying to make work for a long time feels like it's really true now. And one of the reasons it's true is because, you know, 30 years ago we started putting barcodes on things, and that was an amazing step up for a product being able to describe itself at a point of sale. Now, with a essentially infinite um number of codes that we could put on where every qr code is obviously around the url right and we'll take you to somewhere and tell you about the product itself it means that i can get into things that have you know i I don't know what you're like at managing the shop of the things that we consume the things that we use but simplifying that the reordering the recycling the supply chain just for me in my house is an enormous opportunity that people are investing pretty heavily in at the moment.
0: Well, that's a that's a connectivity issue, isn't it? That's how do you how do you connect all that together into, I guess, a, an ecosystem or um, some kind of of space which which can do all those things. I consider sort of early early stages of that. We are doing recycling, yes. We are we are looking at supply chain, yes. Um, we're even seeing some interactive packaging, you know, which tells me something, or um, it's it's some kind of novelty. And, and I think there's a huge part of the population which are attracted to novelty and attracted to anything that is different or that shows them something that's that's interesting. Um, yeah, you know, food and beverage is, is uh, I think it's a, it's a, it's a it's an interesting space, particularly for interactive packaging. Um, I see some. Some very, very strange stuff and some very interesting stuff happening in that space, which I think eventually will sort of, by osmosis, move to every other space as well. But that level of interactivity with, with, with the product, with the packaging, with whatever it is, that seems to me to be that's that's kind of untapped, and we we kind of have the technology to do that now. We can do some very interesting things with
1: uh, with interactivity uh, with you know, with physical products. That's exactly what everything have built, right? So when you talk about a platform where all that product information could live and relate to each other, right, so I can build connections between different – here's all the things that I like, right, or here's all the things I've bought before, or here's all the things that I've thought about, but haven't tried yet. And then for the brands themselves, here's all the things that came from the factory in Vietnam and how they've performed compared to all the ones that came from the factory in Portugal, right? Or those kind of relationships. Or here's all the ones I sold at Tesco and here's all the ones I sold at Waitrose. And those ideas of categorizing and understanding giant, giant lakes of data and how that's moving around, starting with a physical product, creates an opportunity that's never existed before. And so that's why the space is fascinating.
0: That's an interesting definition of business and brand. When you are talking to your sort of customer base, are they quite happy to literally lay themselves bare like that or is there a level of anxiety still there, or is it is it a learning curve and it's quite a steep learning curve for, for businesses? I mean, yeah, well, are we are we on the early stages of that? So it does seem to me that brands will have to get used to laying themselves bare, literally. Uh, show me who you are, why you do this, where this has come from, and then I will decide uh, whether I feel that uh, that's something I would like to be involved in. But how are businesses reacting to that? To literally opening their their doors to uh, to to that level of scrutiny.
1: Well, there's two parts to that. So one is for the last 20 years, I guess what we've seen is this flight to becoming data driven businesses, right? And so initially financial services and oil and gas and so, and you know, people, they understand the business that they're running better than ever before. The missing part of that for most of the brands I talk to has been first party data, right? What are your consumers like? right? What do they do? What do they do? And people have always done Nielsen studies that are joint focus groups, they do invest in it, millions and millions and millions of pounds, right? But now, the opportunity exists for the product itself to be your direct digital channel to your shopper, your consumer by definition, right? So if I can create something that's compelling enough for someone to scan an item, maybe even multiple times, most of the apparel people we work with, they'll see 15, 20 scans of a single garment as it goes through its life for different reasons, right? With toothpaste, it might be less, right? I might be registering it, might, you know, might be a loyalty points, whatever it is, and then it might be able to recycle it. All of those data points are aggregated back for the brand and give them a picture of what their shoppers are doing. And hopefully by understanding their motivations, I can provide better products for them that they will like more, right? Um, That's an enormous opportunity. So in order to earn the right to do that, brands know that they can't just, you know, putting a code on the side of a packet is not it, right? Often it'll be like scan to win, people that do stuff like that, but there will also be a, how do i recycle it is this good for me where did this come from you mentioned food and i do think that will be the big driver in the next couple of years as people have got more and more thoughtful about their own health they get more and more thoughtful about the things that they consume how is this processed? what is this really made of what do these e-numbers on the side of this packet mean and products being able to do that while still having you know you know you packaging can't just be dense four-point text there has to be a route through defining things out when I can apply myself onto that data, tell me how this means in the context of, you know, what my health data is on my iPhone or something like that, then you create a really interesting, engaging process that's never been possible before. And so, you know, I do think we'll give up data for that reason.
0: I, I think so. And um, I I also think there's almost a sea change coming as well. I've been reading a lot about contextual advertising and what that means, because advertising at the moment, you know, it's aimed at uh, individuals usually or, or groups with a, a similar interest or or whatever it is. How is an ad going to reach, say, uh, again? I, I mentioned uh, sort of interactive TV. Um, if you're putting an ad onto a, onto a television set how do you know who's sitting on that sofa? It could be multi-generational. It could be very different people. It could be friends. It could be colleagues. It could be a family. So you you can't use, I guess, traditional targeting in that respect, because how how do you know who you're speaking to? So the ad has to be within context. And that's an interesting, I guess, part of the equation we've been talking about, um, about how do you do that? How do you use um you know, data? How do you use the digitalization of brands? ultimately how do you use that for communicating messages but within context and how do you define that context i thought that was a that's an interesting discussion about how we've all moved to you know the the netflix generation but how how does netflix know who's watching something at a particular time on that sofa and that context seems to me to be the i guess the next thing that needs to be defined to really get a handle on i guess how messages will reach the correct audience at the
1: correct time and what you're describing is doubly difficult because it, you mentioned Netflix as an example. And I imagine there's a, a sort of hyper sophisticated version of this, but basically I, I watched Bake Off last week, right? And I realized halfway through, why well, actually has millions of outbreaks in it. And I realized I was watching an ad on tv for the first time in absolutely ages right all the non-linear guys like netflix and prime and even iplayer right you don't get exposed to adverts on tv so while i was like well i'm watching this on all four on apple tv so it does know who i am and maybe it's smart enough to tailor this advertising to me i wouldn't be surprised right that would make sense it would say oh it's you know it's a bloke in his 50s that lives in london kind of thing i'm going to show him this advert that would make sense but the opportunity to do that is so small now that actually it's far more likely i think that someone would get to me either via you know something more social or embedded into articles is the other one that you often see right and so you'll be reading like, the new york times an advert will appear halfway down it and it's just a, a route to, to how you get to your market but i've actually always been a bit disappointed by how unsophisticated my own personality is around that and you sort of describe all the moving parts of your, you know, how you see yourself or whatever. And then, you oh, your personality type 42 or something like that, right? And you're like, okay, so actually the advertisers do still have a, a reasonably good opportunity to get through to you with something that's probably compelling for you. I think it adds a new a new
0: layer or a new nuance. I think it, I think when when you start talking about brands within a digital space what that actually means or the digitization of a brand then I think all the moving parts are are still that they're still moving. I think I think brands have to sort of try and get a, a handle on really what's in motion at the moment to try and understand that. How do we communicate what we want to communicate? and do we understand the audience and if we if we do can they become our you know, our brand ambassadors ultimately those are interesting conversations when you put it into the digital space because the opportunity for you know for touchpoint is massive yeah you know, the obvious one is our phones everyone carries a phone so how do you make you know connections with with someone via that device and then later, as it expands, you understand what other devices they use. How how else do they, they consume information? How else do they uh, they make their purchases and so on. But it it's kind of it's kind of out of focus, it seems to me. It's that a business to understand we, we, we understand this. We want to create this ecosystem and we kind of have the the tools. It's how we connect it all together and make that integrated. And I guess that's what you guys are about. You're the connecting part, so you can so that you can connect all of these uh, disparate pieces of your brand together, but into a whole that you can then understand.
1: Well, a complete, uh, there's a really interesting patent that everything have, actually, which, is, you know, regardless of the commercial opportunity, I think it answers the question that you've just raised, which is the ability to provide context around the moment of a scan means that you can tailor the response, whatever that is, in a much, much more sophisticated way, right? So what time of day is it? What country am I in? The device that's doing the scan, what's the language set to on that device? How many times has this same device ID scanned this code? Is it in this shop or not? All those different contexts allow you to provide something that's more meaningful. And when you were talking about contextual advertising a minute ago, while it may not be buy another product, it can be a this is the experience we think you want to have right now, right? I think that you're having trouble putting this tent away because you scanned it yesterday to and watch the instructions and now you've scanned it again. Maybe you need help breaking it out or, you know, I think that you're unsure of how to use this, uh, source, right? That you've scanned and maybe uh, some recipe ideas or whatever would help now or how to bake it or cook it or whatever it is. And so those things in the language that you speak based on the context where you're standing at the time feels to me like a, you know, an indication of things to come. Like everyone always says about Uber, you know, the yeah. idea of using an app on your phone and a car comes and you get in it and you get out again is training people for when there's autonomous cars, right? And so now I've uh, the fact that someone is not or not, so, and I think that's true as well of a lot of the work that we're doing where... Yes, today, it might be, I can tell you where all the raw materials for this jacket came from that you're thinking about buying. And that's fine. I may not need to do that more than once for a single car. I can tell you if this egg mayonnaise sandwich you're allergic to or not, that's fine. But as we condition people to the idea of, oh, these physical things should be able to tell me what I need to know, not go and look it up somewhere or type it in or remember to do it or something, you know, just right now I can have this immediate direct digital relationship with this physical product. All of that opportunity that creates grows over time, right? We were talking a a bit ago about, you know, giving up my personal data to get something that I want. Fine. It's taken us more than 15 years to figure out what that means as a society. Now we're on this next channel of, okay, physical product but it's connected to the internet what does that mean and everything they're trying to really help everyone figure out what well, the answer to that question is in the context of your brand or you as a person
0: it's a massive evolution away from ultimately just it, it's just retargeting instead of doing a brute force you look at a website we we know you looked at this product on, on amazon we'll show you that again and again and again and that's that's just a brute force attack on a potential uh purchaser um make that more nuanced and that's a huge advantage, as we said earlier. If you can track a, a product and you understand its life cycle completely, um, you know, I can buy a T-shirt from a high street store, and then in five years' time, another person will be standing at a charity shop scanning the same code, understanding those two scenarios. Um, it's very powerful. I mean, that's that that is, is kind of gold dust, really, for for really building. Um, I guess a a brand that understands how it's how its products move through its through their life and who they might touch on who are the touch points for for that product potentially when you can do that that's such a powerful way of managing a brand and communicating you know value to uh, you know to the end customers
1: you've exactly described the vision of the business that everything you know that idea of this product is going to go on a long journey, hopefully right hopefully it's not heading into landfill, people are going to continue to use it. They say there's 2 trillion items of clothing in people's garments, in people's wardrobes that they haven't worn for more than a year, right? And so if you could get those back out and have people, you know, even wherever they are in their life or the world, have a chance to use something that's not being used at the moment, that's got to be an important part of how we keep the planet going, right? And so, yes, anything we can contribute to that, sharing that. Making those products journeys more accessible, but also giving the data back around, you know, fixing stuff. And you know, why does this always go wrong at this point? Or why does people's satisfaction with this drop off at this time? It's critical for the brands to be able to do what they want as well. The brands are all, you know, on good journeys as well, right? They all want to create a more sustainable planet with gr- greater products that delight their customers and so on, obviously. And so, you know, the more information they have to be able to do that, the better job they're going to do of it. There's
0: clearly a shift there. I think the EU is now legislating on they Brands have to keep uh, uh, spare parts, for instance, for so many years. So, um, you know, if my washing machine does break, I can get it fixed. So I'm not throwing that thing away uh, simply because I can't get a, a part that's probably worth a quid or something. Uh, you know, it, that that kind of silliness that you know, white goods get disposed of because they can't get a part which is really low value because they just didn't keep enough on. It. It, it's just crazy. Um, so that that kind of legislation is, is clearly a uh, a positive and. A step in the in the in the right uh, the right direction, um, but what do you think? What do you think the near future looks like then? Do you think that yeah, uh, you know, in in a few years, um, you know, that ecosystem of of data and information which connects me to I guess a sea of information about brands that have digitised whatever they sell. Let's let's talk about uh, toothpaste again, uh, you know, toothpaste or or whatever it is. Um, well, give me that information. Do you, do you feel that uh you know, we are on the cusp of a of a of a change? Um, really, how how a brand is defined, how it communicates, how it digitizes its uh, its products and services, and then ultimately communicates those to me, and then the exchange back is is my advocacy.
1: Yes, I think that we're on the cusp of a massive opportunity, and I think the expectation will just go through the roof of consumers very quickly. The most important part of it I see in the near term is secondary market and people willing to consume pre loved items because they feel like they can understand the journey that's been on better or where it's from. So they know it's real. I think there's a lot to do around brand protection. That doesn't mean protecting the brands, it means protecting the consumer, right? So, you know, things like face creams and babies nappies and stuff like that there's so much counterfeit stuff out there that causes problems for people i think taking that away and once those two are working people's expectations on knowing more about things they're holding their hand will go through the roof and we can't even we don't even know all the opportunities will be for marketing in the middle of that right because tailoring around individual desires things will will know so much more at the same time, we hope in a protected and managed way, as for what you were saying around you know GDPR and all the rest of that piece, so yes, I think definitely all products go digital in the next few years, not just at a skew level or an item level but you know we'll know every single box of cornflakes and when it was made and where it was made and so on and so on and it'll be relatively straightforward to find out as hard as pointing my phone at an item in a supermarket or picking something up in a charity shop as for example that you said and then what do you do with that i think it will mean a lot less stuff going through the supply chain i hope and that's probably part of the world that we need to create too
0: You've been listening to a Silicon UK in Focus podcast. Keep up to date with the latest tech news and read in-depth features by subscribing to our newsletter. I'd like to thank Soros for taking the time to speak to Silicon UK. It's a goodbye from me, Dave Holt, and it's goodbye from Soros.
1: Bye, everyone.